morning as we continue giving God all the praise and the glory that he deserves. forever 
great singing this morning. We're glad that you're here. We wanted to just um, celebrate what God did yesterday. How many of you were here for the Easter egg helicopter dropped? Amen. Amen. We were so excited about what God did. I mean, look at that awesome man in that helicopter. We were so excited about what God did, and we want to give you a little taste of, um, of a video that Hunter was able to put together and just kind of really celebrate what Jesus did yesterday, and we're excited about it. exciting event. Let's give our God a hand, man. What a great day. What a great day. We, uh, I just want to say thank you to all that helped. We had 50 people out here helping yesterday. Isn't that awesome? And I just want to thank all. There were many, many hands who made that go. Let's give them a hand. What an incredible, incredible time. Just uh, literally hundreds and hundreds of people up here yesterday, many people for the first time uh, experiencing our church. As people left, they all got an invitation to come for Easter. And so I want to, I want to encourage you, on your seat here this morning is, uh, is, is invites. So that's why we put them on your seat so we don't have to pass them out again. Would you please take those invites and take a step of faith and invite somebody to come? 
Um, there, there's two, two of them there are for Easter Sunday, Easter weekend, and the other two are for Thursday and Good Friday. On Thursday and Good Friday, we're going to have an, uh, an excellent program here. It's uh, called Journey to the Cross. It will take you on the last week of the life of Jesus. It's, a, it's drama and music together. It's going to be a phenomenal time. I want to encourage you to, uh, to not just come, but to invite somebody and fill the seat next to you. And when we do that, we take a step of faith. It's amazing what God does. God does great and mighty things when we take a step of faith. Just like yesterday, we took a big step of faith to, uh, to, to go rent a helicopter, right? And, uh, and have helicopters put eggs out there. And we're worried about having too many people up here and tickets and all that fun stuff. And God just did great things. I'm looking, out, I'm looking here at the Observer Reporter. This is the Sunday edition of the Observer Reporter. And down on the front page there, there's a big old article about the helicopter drop at Crossroads Ministries. Isn't that awesome? Give God a hand for that, all right? Give God a hand. And uh, go buy an Observer Reporter, all right? It's part of our church history. We're glad that, uh, glad that God could allow us this opportunity. But I want us to really step out now. Let's take the, take the next step here, inviting people. You know, if you invite them, they will come. That is, that is a true, true story. I'm seeing it over and over again. Many people, they're inviting their friends, they're inviting their family, and to their surprise, people come with them. So if you invite them, say, hey, what are you doing this Easter? Why don't you come to church with me? Sit and be my guest, all right? And they will. They'll come and be your guest. Um, or to the Thursday and Good Friday, or to both. Uh, it's amazing the, the amount of people, if we just step out in faith. And that's what this is all about, is stepping out in faith. It's not about a program. It's about bringing them to Jesus. So as we step out and we bring people to Jesus, uh, God transforms their lives. And so we're, we're thankful for all that God is doing here in the church right now. Uh, this time I'd like to ask rushers to come forward. And as they come forward, if you're here this morning as a guest, we'd like to welcome you to Crossroads. And I'd like to ask you to uh, swing out to the Welcome Center there and... and um, and stop by the Welcome Center if you're a guest. We have a, a nice welcome gift for you. We'd like to welcome you to Crossroads. If you're a guest, as the offering plate comes your way this morning, feel free to let it pass you by. This is for our regulars that are growing in the grace of giving. Let's pray, shall we? Our Father and our God, we come before you, and we just thank you for all that you're doing. Lord, you're moving in mighty ways in this church. You're, you're, you've allowed us to leave a mark on our community this weekend, that, to let people know that we're here, to, to invite them back to, to, meet, to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we're all about, is helping people find a growing relationship with you, Lord. So, God, we ask that uh, you'll take the efforts of all those people that were here working and, and put so much time in for so many days uh, to, to make that a reality. Lord, you've done great things in our midst, and we stand back in awe of what you've done. And, Lord, we're, we're standing back in awe of what you're going to do. We, we are expecting you to work this next week, Lord, as we, we approach Easter. Lord, we're asking for people to come into a saving relationship with you, that you'll transform lives and that you'll do your work in this place. God, now as we give unto you, we give to you with a heart of gratitude, thanking you for your greatest gift of all, eternal life. In your name we pray, amen.
series, The Close Encounters of the Jesus Kind. Uh, we started out three, four weeks ago here on, uh, with a guy named Nathaniel. In John chapter 1, Jesus has an encounter with Nathaniel. And I want to remind you that everywhere Jesus went, people were on his mind. And uh, Jesus, Jesus had these close encounters with people. And the bottom line was that after he had a close encounter with somebody, their life was changed. And he allowed them time on the journey. Nathaniel was a skeptic. And, uh, and Jesus basically tells Nathaniel that skeptics are welcome. Uh, come on, come along the journey. And I want to encourage you that skeptics are welcome. I say that here and I'm starting to say it more and more. Skeptics are welcome here. Because that's what Jesus' message was. Yeah. Come along the journey. And as you come along the journey, we talk about Jesus every single week here in this place. He is the main event. He is the reason that we exist. So as we are here and we are, we're bringing people into growing relationship with Jesus, if you're on the journey and you say, I'm a little bit skeptical, I say, welcome. Come along the journey. And that's what we learned from, from Nathaniel. Then we moved on to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a religious person. And as a religious person, uh, he comes to Jesus by night, and he has, he has all his pedigree. He has everything that, that, that a good person could offer to God. And he comes before God, and he's trying to get to an issue of, are you really the Messiah? 
But Jesus gets to the issue of you need the kingdom of God. The only way you're going to get into the kingdom of God is to be born again. Not to be born of your pedigree, but to be born of the Spirit of God. And so, uh, so Nicodemus, we don't believe that he became a follower that night. Uh, he started on the journey. He, he did an investigation. And, and by the time Jesus died, um, we see him in the crowd. And, and he ends up helping to bury the body of Jesus. So at that point, we believe that he began to really become a follower. He became public with his faith in following Jesus Christ. So he allowed him time on the journey. And then last week, Pastor Jim took us on a journey to, the, uh, to Samaria, to the woman at the well. And Jesus had an encounter with the, the woman at the well. This was an encounter with somebody that had uh, a poor reputation. Things were not good. Things were not, not happy in her home. Uh, she, she was not respected by anybody in the community. And Jesus has a, a, an encounter with her, and he gives her eternal life. So her life has changed. And this morning, we're going to take a, take a look at a, an encounter this morning um, that I believe is really the most important encounter. And it's an encounter with you. Have you had a co- close encounter with Jesus? Have you had a close encounter of the Jesus kind? Because the bottom line is that people have had a close encounter with the, of the Jesus kind. They, uh, their lives are transformed. Their lives are changed. This morning we had a baptism in our first service, and we're going to share those, share their stories again. Um, uh, they, 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 with just a little clip of their stories. We're going to share them towards the end of the, the message this morning. But I want you to think about this question: Have I had a close encounter of the Jesus kind? Have I had an, a, an encounter like the woman at the well, where Jesus says, "I offer you eternal life"? Have you begun to drink of the eternal life? Have you been born of the kingdom of God? Have you been born, not, not born of your good works, but have you been born of the kingdom of God? And I think even in a good church like ours, we can rely on our good deeds because we can stay really busy. We have egg drops, we have this, we have that, we have all kind of events, and we can stay so busy doing things in church that we can begin to rely on our activities and we can re- begin to rely on our pedigree Instead of relying on Jesus, the Son of God, the one who came to set us free. This morning is Palm Sunday, and I'd like for us to look at Palm Sunday and and go to the passage here, Mark chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Mark chapter 11, and you are familiar with the Palm Sunday story. You may be familiar with it, and uh, maybe you've been in church and you've heard it on Palm Sunday for the past 20 years. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to come at it from a different angle this morning. I'd like to come at it from an angle, and I'd like to you, for you, as, we're, as we are studying the, the, uh, the Palm Sunday event this morning, I'd like to ask you to look at it from this angle and ask yourself this question as we're going through this. Have I had an encounter with Jesus? Have I had a close encounter with Jesus? I'm going to show you here this morning the triumphal entry. Let's look here. Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent uh, two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. I find it kind of interesting, don't you? Jesus tells his disciples, hey, go to the next town. You'll find, you'll find a donkey. Get it. Bring it to me, all right? Um, 
If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say that the Lord has need of it and, uh, and he will send it back here immediately. Now, imagine me just sending a few of, a few of our people over to Mineral Beach this morning, uh, down to the beach house and say, you know, bring back that Cadillac Escalade, you know? I, I'll take that. Or, or better yet, bring back that Volkswagen, right? Bring back that Volkswagen bug. He says, go bring that donkey back. And, but here's the deal. God had a plan. God had a plan, and, and what the people around Jesus could not see was God's plan. And it's very similar to where you and I live. We cannot see God's plan. Uh, so God, Jesus, the Son of God here, he tells them, he says, go on to the next town, and if anybody asks you, why, you know, what you're doing, just tell them that the Lord needs it. So he goes on ahead and tells them that. Verse 3, uh, verse 4, and they went away, and they found a cold tide at a door outside in the street. And they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? Now, that's a very common thing, right? You're coming and you're taking my donkey. You're going to take, you know, that's my property. Why are you taking my colt? And they just respond, The Lord, Jesus, Jesus had said to them uh, and told them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. So these folks, they let their donkey go. They, uh, Jesus gets the donkey, and now they put their cloaks. They take their outer garments and put it on, on the donkey, and Jesus sits on the donkey. And many spread their cloaks on the road. And others spread leafy branches, palm branches, that they had cut from the fields. And those who went out, who, who went before, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And what I want us to think about this morning is that God's plans were different than our plans. Uh, let, let's look at a little bit here. This, this was during the time of Passover. Uh, Palm Sunday was during the time of Passover. So what that meant was that there, were, there, there could have been up to as many as 3 million Jews converging on the city of Jerusalem. So here it is. It, it's like, you, you ever been to one of those vacation towns? And they kind of are like, during the rest of the year, they're not too full. But yet in the summer, they just swell. I, uh, I spent some time at Word of Life Bible Institute up in Scroon Lake. If you go to Scroon Lake, high, high, high in the Adirondack Martin, Mountains, way up, way up north, right? If you go to Scroon Lake in November, there's nobody there. I mean, it is a ghost town. You go in the middle of July, you wonder, where did all these people come from? There's another little town called Lake George. It's a beautiful little town. You go over to Lake George and you'll see, man, in the middle of November, middle of January, it's like how can anybody even operate? How does McDonald's even stay open in a town like that, right? And then in the summer, boom, it's, there's people everywhere. You think you're in the middle of Pittsburgh all of a sudden in the middle of the summer up there because all these people converge. That's what was happening in Jerusalem. This was not just any day in Jerusalem. Jesus was converging upon Jerusalem as were the Jews, as three million other Jews were coming because every good Jew would make their pilgrimage into Jerusalem for Passover. Passover, it was the feast that had been celebrated for 1,300 years up at that point that Jesus is there, about 1,300 years. The, the nation of Israel, they were under the Egyptian slavery 
And they get released. They get freed from the Egyptian slavery because Moses becomes their leader. God tells Moses, I want you to lead and free my people. And, uh, and he gives them ten plagues. And if you go through, you can study and you see the ten plagues. And the last plague was the death angel. And he says, if you want the death angel to bypass your house, oh, Israel, he tells the children of Israel, if you want the death angel to bypass your house, take the blood of a lamb and put it on a doorpost. So you got your doorway. He says, put it on the top and put it on the sides. Which, by the way, if we look at the, the application of that blood, you put, put the, the blood on the top, we see it drip down. We put blood on the sides and we connect those dots and we see a cross. It's as if God were giving us a symbol even whenever he's telling them about the death angel that would pass over so that, so that he could get the attention of the Egyptians to, to free Israel from the Egyptian oppression. God gives them a symbol. He gives them a sign and says, listen, I'm going to redeem you. Let the death angel pass over you. And what is happening here? Jesus comes, and he's coming on Palm Sunday. It's in the time of Passover, and Jesus would be that Passover lamb. Jesus, on Good Friday, his blood was shed on that cross. And today, if you want to have the, if you want to be passed over, of eternal separation, eternal death, all right? If you want to be passed over of that, you must apply that blood, the Passover lamb. Apply his blood over your heart, over your soul. That is our message, that Jesus came, he died, he paid the price. But on Palm Sunday, they weren't thinking about that. And we have to ask ourselves, why? Why did the crowd turn? What happened? Why would this crowd go from waving palm branches? Palm branches. Why, why would anybody wave a palm branch? It was a symbol of nationalism. It was a, it was a great symbol of nationalism. I just was in uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, last week, I saw on Friday, I, said, I saw that there was a possibility that the cherry blossoms were still up and running in Washington, D.C., so I told my wife, and she kind of is used to my last-minute plans, right? I said, hey, let's go down to D.C. and see the cherry blossom. So we got in the car, and we drove down to see the cherry blossom. And guess what? We got there, and the cherry blossoms were pretty much done by the time we got there. We didn't even get a really nice picture. It was like, you know, you could see it was kind of at the end of the cherry blossom. But as I'm roaming around D.C., I get this sense of nationalism. I get the sense of, man, I'm an American. I get the sense of proud to be an American, right? I get the sense of if I would have been there on Inauguration Day, regardless of who is in the office, I would be waving an American flag because I'm proud to be an American. That's what was happening on Palm Sunday. These Jews are waving a palm branch, and they, they've taken the palm branches. And it's, you know, today, as you leave, you'll get a little strip. We give you a little strip of a palm on Palm Sunday. Uh, when, when that, they weren't waving a no little strip. They were taking huge branches, and they're waving them in the air, and they're, they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what they are saying, they're saying, yes, this is our king. They're ready to anoint him as king. Understand the other thing. Not only was it the time of Passover, but an interesting ha thing happened during the time of Passover. 
during the time of Passover, uh, with these three million Jews converging on the city, now remember, they were still under Roman oppression. And under this Roman oppression, uh, what, here's, here's how it would happen. Rome was uh, under the greatest dictator. It was really a great dictatorship. It was a brutal dictatorship. The leader of Rome, of the Roman Empire at that point was uh, Tiberius Caesar. He was in control of the world pretty much. Uh, the way that they ruled was that they would show up to your town and your village. They would kill you if necessary, and they would take your money and force you to go along according to their plan. They ruled the world. They've colonized most of the world at this time, at this point in history, and at this point, even Jerusalem is under the, the reign and rule of Rome. But how do you rule a country? How do you conquest the country whenever you're a thousand miles away? And there's no internet, no phone. He can't keep up on what's going. How do you do it? How, how, how do you keep in touch and, and, and keep your hands on there? Well, what he did was he elected a governor. And he put a governor over there. His name was Pontius Pilate. Now, Pontius Pilate didn't live in the city. He didn't live in Jerusalem. He lived actually 60 miles to the west in a place called Caesarea by the sea, by the lake, Caesarea by the lake. And so he lived out by the water. And what would happen is when you get three million people converging on one city, do you realize the sense of nationalism during Passover? They had been promised. They knew the promises of God that one day a Messiah would come. And they were celebrating that 13, for 1,300 years at that point. They're celebrating and saying, wow, you know, God freed us. When's he going to free us from Rome? When's the Messiah coming? They look at history. They're waving palm branches. That, the palm branches started during the time of the Maccabeans. The, the Maccabeans, they, they, they were responsible for uh, getting the release of the Greeks. The, the Greek, uh, Israel, Jerusalem was under the, the reign of the Greeks at that point during the Maccabeans. And they drove the, Mac, uh, the Maccabeans drove out the Greeks and restored the temple, restored worship again. And so since that time, the palm branch had become a symbol of nationalism. And so they're waving this palm branch. But yet Rome is still has oppression. So what would happen is that Pontius Pilate would come from the west. And whenever a big festival like this would happen, it was very common for Pontius Pilate to come in and, and with, a, with a big team of chariots, a big team of military, showing that he's in charge. In other words, it's like whenever he came into Jerusalem and there, there was a particular place that he stayed, the, the, the locals would know, okay, he's here, the Romans are here, and there's this tension between, between the Romans and the Jews. The Jews had their own form of government that they, that they were allowed to respond and, and answer to Pilate. It was called the Sanhedrin. We talked about that a few weeks ago for Nicodemus was part of the Sanhedrin. It was like the Supreme Court and the Vatican and, uh, and Parliament kind of all in one. And so as these people converged upon Jerusalem, they, uh, they had their own little form of government, but it had to answer to Caesar. It had to answer to Pilate. And so as they were working together, everything was fine as long as there was no uprising. But Pilate wasn't about to let three million people converge on a city. He wasn't about to let this happen without the show of force without the show of who's really in charge. So on Palm Sunday, Jesus is coming from the east. 
He's coming from the Mount of Olives. He's coming from the east into the city on the donkey. And yet, here comes Pilate from the west. And Pilate's coming from the west with his entourage. And here comes Jesus with his entourage. Here's Pilate. He has the entourage of power, chariots, military might. And in comes Jesus, a different kind of king. In humility, he's riding on a donkey. Every Jew understood this. Every under Jew, listen, every Jew understood what was going on. Zechariah nine nine says this: Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey. This prophecy was given hundreds of years before Jesus comes in, humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, on the foal of a donkey. Verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off. Did Jesus know what he was doing? You bet he did. Jesus had kept a pretty quiet ministry. And here's what is really interesting to me about Jesus. He never leveraged his power for personal gain. Never did. Uh, We we love to leverage our power for personal gain. Uh, We 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 were in D.C., and uh, we were going into the Holocaust Museum. And we got there around noon, and, uh, and, you know, I heard tickets were free. So when I hear there's a free, you know, everything's free, that's my kind of place to go. I'll probably go back quite a few more times. It's all free, right? So I went into the Holocaust Museum, and they, they said, we're sorry, sir, they're free tickets, but they're all gone. And I looked at them, I'm like, really? They're all gone? And he goes, well, are you in the military? Are you in the government or anything? And I'm like, well, if I say yeah, he'll probably ask for ID, right? <laughs> and I said, no. And then so I went on to the, I went around, I come back, and I got I get another guy at the stand. You know, there's three or four of these guys. Then I come back, and I come back to another, another guy. And finally, I got one guy. He goes, are you military or anything? I said, no, sir, I'm not. I said, all I have to offer you is I'm a clergy. <laughs> he goes, what? <laughs> You're a clergy. I said, yeah, it's a humble beginning and a humble ending. I said, there's nothing more that I have to offer you. And he turns around. He goes, hang on. And I think he had pity on me. And he went over and he grabbed two tickets, he said. And it was an older gentleman. He says, don't tell that guy over there what I'm doing. Go in. And he gave me the tickets and we went in. You see, we try to leverage anything we can when we get in a situation. We take our personal power and leverage it for gain. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't leverage any of his power for personal gain. You look at his whole ministry. He's turning water into wine. He's healing lepers. And what does he tell people? Don't tell anybody I did this. He heals a leper. Don't tell people that I've done this. Don't tell them that I said this. And he says, keep it quiet. Why? Because the time was not yet ready. You see, God has perfect timing, and that's one issue that we have. We don't understand God's timing. God has a perspective. God has time that we can't understand. And so for three years, there was, there was this public ministry, and could Jesus have said, man, I just, healed, I just healed a leper. Go tell all the lepers to come see me. I'll take care of them. 
That'd be how I would have handled it, right? I've been out there all night long healing lepers. He knew that when the word got out, that he was truly the Messiah, that he'd be going to the cross. And he knew that there were things, there were encounters that he had to have yet with people. He knew that there were time for his disciples to, to be learning and growing because they were going to lead a ministry that would last more than 2,000 years. He was investing in 12 guys, and he's pouring his life into 12 guys, and even one of those 12 betrays him. I don't feel so bad, do you? You ever had a, betray, a friend betray you? You pour your life into them, and then they walk away from you? Jesus had that. He understood. He understands what it's like to be human because he is God, 100% God and 100% human. God has a timetable that we don't understand, and I think we struggle with that all the time because we want God to do what we want God to do when we want God to do it. Did you catch that? We want God to do what we want God to do when we want God to do it. And you see, what it is, it's like this. We put God into a box, and we say, God, and we get this idea. We, we come up with this idea. God, if, if I'm good, and I do this, and I just, I just live life, and I don't hurt anybody, and, and I attend church, and I, and I, just, I make all these connections, and I, and I please you, God, then God, therefore, you must make me happy. And nobody actually says that, but we kind of live that way. If God, if I do this, then God has to make me happy. And God is not in a box. You are the created, not the creator. God says you're in his box. And when you take that box, and we, we take God out of the box. Listen, I think many people have put Jesus on a shelf. And they pull him out, and they dust him off, and they use him for what they want to use him for. And then they put him back on the shelf. And it's sad. This is, this is a sad reality. But because what they're saying is, if I get what I need out of God, then it's worth it. But if I don't get what I need out of God, then it's not worth it. And we see people that, that come and they'll go through faith like that because it's like, wow, they didn't understand who he is. You see, the reason I'm sharing that is because the local crowd there, they didn't understand who he is. They're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna means this, save now. Save now. God, save now. So you know what they're ready to do? They're ready to crown him the king and be freed from Pilate. They're ready to be freed from Pontius Pilate, from Caesar, from all the Roman brutality. They are saying, Lord, take us and free us. And there's an expectation. They had an expectation that God, that this Messiah, that this Jesus would free us. But he didn't meet their expectations. And in six short days, they crucified. This crowd that was, Hosanna, save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Crown him the king. They, they knew, they looked at those prophecies in Zechariah that were given hundreds of years earlier, and they saw what Jesus was doing. Jesus purposely picked a donkey because he knew that he was the Messiah. 
the people were ready to crown him as king. And I wonder about your life this morning. Have you dealt with some expectations? Have you dealt with some areas of your life where you wanted God to do something and he didn't? And I tell you, those are painful moments, aren't they? When you beg and you ask God and you say, Lord, please do this. And we'll even, we'll even ask him, Lord, for your name's sake, please do this. And then we see that things didn't happen. May I tell you that Jesus doesn't want to be one of many gods on that shelf? He is the God. And never interpret your experience. Never interpret Jesus by your experience. Interpret your experience by Jesus. And look at Jesus and understand that he is God. He is the Savior of the world. He's offering you eternal life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they give us accounts of the, the various events of the life of Jesus. It's, it's like a newspaper reporter. If, uh, if, if you have two people standing on different angles, um, uh, uh, one person's on the west side of the event, the other person's on the east side of the event, they would tell you the same core story, but you might get a little flavor of this from this person, a little flavor of that because of their, their place of uh, where they were watching the story or from, from the particular interest of theirs. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell us about the triumphal entry. And, uh, and over in Matthew, Matthew gives us a little bit also. He says that after Jesus comes into the city, notice this, he says, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Jesus cries over Jerusalem. And why does Jesus cry over Jerusalem? Look what he says here. He goes further. He says, saying, what would, you, uh, would, would that you, even you, had known on this day that the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you into every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. What's he saying here? Jesus says he's, a, he's crying. He's, he, it's the same word there. When it says that Jesus wept over the city, it's the same word that was used for people that were crying at a funeral. He's looking at the city of Jerusalem and he is sobbing. Understand how the Jews mourned. Uh, it, it, was, it was big. It was outwardly open at a funeral. And, and the same word there he uses in, 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 the Hebrew, in the Greek is the same word that is used here for Jesus, that Jesus is crying. He is, he's just sobbing over the city of Jerusalem. Why? Because Jesus knew what was going to happen in 40 years. In 40 years from the time that Jesus was on Palm Sunday, he knew that Jerusalem was going to fall. That Jerusalem would be destroyed. It's one of the, 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 the worst dates in Jewish history. Ask any Jew today, they all know 70 AD. Why? Because that's when Jerusalem fell and literally hundreds of thousands of people lost their lives. Literally, the temple was burnt down, destroyed. They were driven out of Jerusalem. It is the, one of the worst days in their history. And Jesus is looking. He's seeing the crowd. They're saying, Hosanna, save now. Blessed is he who comes. And he's looking on them and he's starting to cry. And he says, oh, you don't know what's coming. 
You don't even know what's coming Friday, yet alone 40 years from now. And he's crying over them because they're not seeing that the Son of Man, like he told Nicodemus, that the Son of Man must die. That Jesus Christ must go to the cross to pay for your sin. Now, if Jesus' mission were to free a few million people from the Roman hand, that's a pretty good mission, isn't it? But his mission was far bigger than their expectation. His mission was to free their soul way more than freeing them from a government. He's freeing them from eternal damnation. And more than just a few million people, how about a few billions and billions and billions of people? How about for every human that ever lived, Jesus came to ransom their soul? I want to share this with you this morning. In the state of Tennessee, and I believe there's a few other places, they'll do something like this. A guy goes out and he's a drunk driver. They put an orange vest on them, and they mark on the back with big four-inch letters, I am a drunk driver. And and they put put that vest on, and they'll walk around, and they have to spend three days or more cleaning up the roadsides. And it's public humiliation. And maybe that works, maybe that doesn't, I don't know. But I think this is what we can look at our life. And I want you to think about this because I think a lot of people are doing this to their life right there. You look at your life and on the back of your vest, there's a big old X. And you say, I failed my family. I screwed up. I didn't spend time with my kids. I, I screwed up financially. I was given to alcoholism. I've destroyed my life. And we wear that. And we put it on and we walk around with this burden. We walk around with this humiliation. We walk around with this shame because I am no good. And I'm beating myself up. I'm feeling like, man, I have, if you only knew what I have screwed up in my life. And may I share with you, I don't know that. But I know that many people are putting this vest on every day. Why did Jesus go through Palm Sunday? So that you could have a close encounter with Jesus. Do you understand what Jesus was doing on Palm Sunday? He was turning the lights on. Roman crucifixions happened all the time. They were a common occurrence. Jesus wasn't the first one to die on a cross. And he wasn't the last one. Jesus, at Passover, turns the light on. I am the king. The whole world will now recognize. Three million Jews will see him on that cross. People will recognize and know, and he turned the lights on. Why? So that he can come and free you from your sin. I love what the scriptures tell us here. 2 Corinthians 5.21. In Christ, God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so that we could be put right with God. In Christ. This is what happened to your soul. All those things that you're wearing, that you're feeling the burden and the pain, in Him, in Christ, all the wrong that you've ever done, 
was put on to Christ. And it's as if you came and you take that vest and God took that vest off you and he nailed it on the cross. You don't have to go there anymore. You don't have to go there anymore. And, 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 and then over in Galatians chapter 3, 27, he says your baptism, in other words, your union in Christ was not just washing you up for a fresh start. Aren't you thankful for that? God's just not telling you to turn over a new leaf. It also involved dressing you in, a, in an adult faith wardrobe, Christ's life, the fulfillment of God's original promise. God took this vest off of you, and he gave you a white garment, the robe of righteousness. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Sadly, many people that are following Christ... Maybe you started following Christ many years ago. They still get up in the morning and they take that guilt and shame and they put it back on. And they say, I'll go to church and it'll feel better. Let me tell you, nothing feels better when you're wearing this. Nothing. It's when you leave it at the foot of the cross. Jesus died on the cross. Palm Sunday happened so that he could turn the lights on to the greatest event, the event that would change the world when he died on the cross. And then next Sunday when we gather together to celebrate that he rose again. This Jesus who died on the cross, who rises again, he did that so that you don't have to wear this guilt and shame anymore. And let's face it, folks, we all have sin. We all have guilt and shame. We have issues. We have things in our life that we don't want anybody to know. But yet we wear this every day. And it's like we're putting on the scarlet letter and God says, I've washed you in the blood of the Lamb. As we close this morning before we have communion, I'd like to share with you just, uh, just two, two videos this morning. They're just short stories. Uh, the first one is Ryan Breinig. Ryan Breinig's been coming to this church for two years. And I want you just to hear his story. He was baptized in the first service, but this was the story that we played before his testimony. Hi, my name is Ryan Breinig. I was born and raised in Finleyville. Um, before I started becoming to the church, uh, my life was rough. And in simpler terms, it was an uphill battle on an icy slope to where every time I took a step forward, it seemed like I took a 15-foot slide backwards, and um, whenever I started coming to the church, I felt like I needed spiritual leading in one of the hardest times I've ever had to deal with it, being a parent, and it's it helped. Um, I started listening to the Word and following the Word, and it's, it's made my life a lot easier, and now that just a few weeks ago, I opened my heart to the Lord. And now my life has been refreshing. And it just seems like my life's going to start moving forward instead of backwards from now on. Can we give God a hand for that? Isn't that awesome? He, he had a personal encounter with Jesus. And he doesn't have to wear this anymore. Betsy, let's play Betsy's story. Shepherd. I was raised in Craft and Ingram in Pittsburgh. 
I went to church when I was younger and I went every Saturday. It's just when I got older, I kind of fell out of it because I went through a rough patch of faith. And it was hard for me to believe in. I didn't think that Jesus Christ was there for me, that he wasn't listening. And that was the part that was hard for me to keep faith. But now, I've been coming here for about two years now. And when I first came here, it was all smiling faces, polite people. And now that I think about it and everything, Jesus was always listening to me. I just wasn't listening to him. And now he's basically my world. I thank him every day I get up and I thank him every day I go to bed. That it was just another glorious day for me. Because it always wasn't for me. But now it is. A few weeks ago I sat down and I was talking to a friend. And I opened up to that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And now he's basically my heart and my soul. And I thank him for it. Let's give God a hand for that. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> Betsy, so many in so many words or less said, I had God in a box. She lost her mother at a young age. She's standing up there in the baptism as her testimony's playing. There's so much more that she just couldn't share. She's just bawling her eyes out. But Jesus has made a difference in her life. And I want to encourage you, that's the message of this church. That's the message of Jesus you don't have to wear this anymore. Take it off and lay it at the cross. Palm Sunday, a few days later, Jesus grabs his disciples together. Just before, literally, moments before, he's betrayed. And he gathers them together during the Passover meal. And he's telling them to do this in remembrance of me. What we know is the Lord's Supper. So at this time, I'm going to ask the gentlemen to, that will be serving the communion this morning, the Lord's Supper. I'm going to ask them to, to, uh, to prepare to serve the congregation. And as they come and, and serve, serve you this morning, I'd like to ask you to, to retain the bread until everyone's been served. But I want you to catch this. It was Palm Sunday, and gentlemen, you may now serve the congregation. It was Palm Sunday, and Jesus knew. Jesus knew what was coming on Friday. His disciples didn't know, but Jesus knew. And so as he, he's having this Passover meal, he takes a loaf of bread. It was unleavened. It was part of the Passover. 
If you look in the Old Testament, this feast that had been celebrated for 1,300 years, Jesus was so good at using a visual illustration. God gave us the visual illustration of the blood on the door for the Passover itself. And Jesus in the middle of the Passover says, this is my body. In other words, this is a symbol of my body. Take and eat this in remembrance of me. And as he, as he gives them that bread, he's basically telling them. He's telling them that his body would be broken. His body would be broken for you. And, and imagine the disciples. They're like, what? They don't totally understand it. They're thinking, but you're the king. You just came on a donkey. The promises of the Old Testament. What's going on? What, what do you mean your broken body? Do this in remembrance of me. God had a plan. And it was much bigger than the disciples could ever understand. And today, I want to invite you to lay down your vest. Take that pain off and give this to Christ. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around this morning, would you please uh, just take a moment and pray over this bread and thank God for this bread that symbolizes the body that was broken for you. Our Father and our God, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you for this bread that was given to us today, Lord, that is given as a symbol, Lord, a symbol that we would take and and remember your body that was broken, that, that perfect, sinless Son of God that went to the cross to pay for our sin and came back to life again. God, thank you for coming to this earth, for living that perfect life, and for laying down your life on the cross that we might have eternal life. God, we thank you for your gift. In your name we pray. Amen. And in the same way that he took the bread, he also took the cup. And when he took the cup, he passed the cup around the room and he he told them to drink of this. Another symbol. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Gentlemen, you may serve the congregation. He says, this is the, the symbol of my blood. And this morning as you hold that grape juice in your hand, I want you to remember that before Jesus was betrayed, he says, do this in remembrance of me. Worship me this morning. The covenant, the old covenant was the law. Do good. Try to attain the law. Go into the sacrificial system and, uh, and let, let the sacrifice of a lamb, and it was something that had to be done over and over. And Jesus said, I will sacrifice my blood will go to the cross and Hebrews tells us that without the giving of blood there would be no forgiveness of sin none this morning thank God for the blood we don't have to go to the temple and 
and give a sacrifice. Jesus was the sacrifice once for all forever. He is the Passover lamb. Shall we pray? Our Father and our God, we thank you, Lord, for what you've taught us today in your word. Lord, as we've looked here this morning at your word and we've been challenged by who you are, God, I pray that you'll be with each one of us as we respond to you. And we thank you, Lord, now for this cup, the blood of the Lamb of the Lord, the Lamb of God. We thank you for this this morning as we think of this symbol. In your name we pray. Amen. As we close our service today, my question to you is what's your story? What's your story? Have you opened your heart to Christ? Are you willing to respond to him this morning? As we stand and sing our song, our closing song, I encourage you to respond to the Lord. What is your story? Have you had a close encounter with Jesus? If not, today's the day. Would you stand with us, please?